Well, good morning, church. Uh, today we have a very special celebration. Uh, this has been, uh, it was intended for July at the 20th anniversary of Chris McKnight at Kerrville Bible Church. Chris McKnight and his family being here for 20 years. And uh, due to some travel arrangements and some other things, we've uh, landed on this Sunday, and his family is all here with him. And so today, we celebrate 20 years with Chris and his family being in Kerrville Bible Church as our pastor. Um, I wanted you to notice one thing outside when you leave, uh, just a small token, but it leads us into our purpose for being here this morning and our, our goal and our objective and our focus that is, there are some, some little gift bags. They have chocolate in them, um, various Hershey Kisses that were lovingly put together by some ladies in the church, uh, Kathy Vineyard and uh, Jen Hunter, and some other kids that helped um, Rita and put these together. There's 300 of them, so please take one. Uh, we are not going to run out, So, and nobody wants that much chocolate left over in this church for that long. So please take one. But what I want to bring your attention to is when you leave and you see this, the tag says, Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness through our pastor, Chris McKnight. There's a scripture verse on there we're going to get into in a minute. Um, But that is our focus, God's faithfulness. Um, Chris has done an amazingly faithful job, and we're going to share our thoughts uh, personally and corporately uh, this morning to that end. We want to encourage him. We want to say, well done, good and faithful servant, where he is faithfully. Yes, absolutely. So that is our, that is why we celebrate this morning, but the glory all goes to God. That's why we are here, why we gather as a church, because we want to glorify God, we want to worship his name. And that's our focus and our praise. All that Chris has accomplished in this place, all the good things that we will say about him, all the encouragements that we will, uh, will speak this morning are all because of the Holy Spirit's work in his heart and by the grace of God. So Chris, uh, that is our, our, um, our desire to share that with you, brother. And so I'm going to share some thoughts. Um, be four different people speak this morning, and then Chris will come up and share some things. We have a gift to give him, and uh, that is going to be our, our service and our time together this morning. Uh, but four different people speaking and different, uh, different perspectives that we all come into this with sharing. So I want to speak as a one of a representative of this church, representing our body, but I also want to speak on a personal level. Uh, Chris McKnight um, has, oh wow, <clears throat> Chris has factored heavily into my personal walk with Jesus Christ over the last nine years, and a dramatic change in my, my life, my family's life, because of his faithfulness. And so I want to share from a personal level, but also from a corporate level of what we can all say uh, we have seen in Chris's work in this place, in his ministry here. Um, first, Chris, you were called by God to be a pastor, to be a minister, to be a shepherd. And when we think of that calling as a shepherding pastor, there are many obligations, many duties that come with that. But I would say we can focus on three, three main areas. And inside the imagery of a shepherd over a flock of sheep, all of you here, all of us being the sheep in this local body of believers... You think of three areas in that imagery, uh, first of all, as being a preacher, being a teacher, what we would call as feeding the sheep, right? 
The second being a shepherd, being a shepherd, tending the flock, tending the sheep and their health. And then third, being a, being a leader, a guide over the flock, making sure that the, those that are wayward are brought back in and that we're going in the right direction as a church body, that we're hearing the right things, that we're, we're organized. So those three areas are what I want to speak to. Um, so first of all, preaching the word, feeding the sheep. Two passages uh, come to mind. We only have a few minutes here, so I'm going to be briefer than uh, I wanted to be. But first, uh, if you have a, a moment, open your Bibles. And this is the scripture that is on the tag of the said chocolate goodie bag here. Second Timothy 4.2. I'll give you a little bit of time to open up to these things because I want to look at what God says. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now look at each part there. Preach the word. Preach the word. We could even say it's the primary obligation. If you look up scripture for uh, pastoral care, for pastoral responsibilities, you will see preach the word. Feed the sheep. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That reminds me of preparedness. Chris, you've always been prepared. Uh, you are remarkably diligent. And every week, despite what's going on, despite personal needs in the congregation, always having sermons prepared and then being ready. Uh, I can think to just being blown away as I'm sitting in a Sunday school class at 6.30 in the morning, uh, 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 Ephesians Armor of God class, or a big 4-0, and thinking, this guy is prepared this week for this class, and then he's teaching a Tuesday night class, and then there's going to be a sermon on Sunday that he's prepared for. Just an incredible amount of preparedness, and you're always diligent and faithful in that. And it stands out as an example to us. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I see in that preaching the truth. Preaching the truth in love. You all know if you spent any time here at all, you've heard Chris preach the truth in love in an expository style. We don't shy away from Scripture. That um, It's walking through God's Word step by step, verse by verse, word by word, and preaching the truth. And with great patience and instruction. Patience, loving kindness. Meeting people where they are. Another thing that stands out to me in that, Chris, is your desire and um, what we see week after week is saying, what does this body need to hear? What does this body need to hear? Uh, we've seen that recently, what we've gone through with COVID and political trials and struggles. And you always know what we need to hear and you feed, uh, feed us to that end. Next verse, if you would turn with me, please, to Colossians 1, 28, 29. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Let's look at that. It says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works Within me. And we see in that 
the effort, the striving that it takes, um, attentiveness to this ongoing work, perseverance, faithfulness uh, that we see in, in Chris and in his ministry here to our people. And making every man complete in Christ. It's, the, it's, it's beyond just teaching and goes into, um, into training, filling spiritual needs, building those up, those, those uh, spiritual gifts, I'm sorry, um, enhancing spiritual gifts for the service of the body. We've seen that. So to Sarah, a personal experience, um, about nine years ago or so, I remember coming in for the first time into this church, and uh, I was complacent, not leading my family in a spiritual way, um, and just really lost, just not being fed, um, not pleasing God, not walking in the Spirit. And I remember sitting right back over here and hearing Chris preach um, Mark chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, about Levi or Matthew being called, and the detail that he went into about the trade route and how lucrative that tax-collecting position was for Levi and what he gave up. And then the Pharisees and their cold-heartedness, not caring about these people that, that Christ is ministering to and loving, these sinners, and then realizing the gravity that I was more like those Pharisees than like the people that Jesus was ministering to. And uh, just the conviction of that. And I went home and I told my wife, we have found our church. And there was a huge difference there in our life that God used that preaching and that teaching, that um, preaching the truth in love and that conviction um, to an end. And I know that I can relate my own personal experiences and all of you. There's many, many now here today and so many over the past 20 years that could come up and say something just like that and could share a personal experience there. Second, shepherding the flock. Shepherding the flock, tending to the people of God. If you will, turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Acts twenty twenty-seven. Again, this imagery of the shepherd of the flock of the people of God being cared for, being protected. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Look at that. Be on guard for yourselves. As an overseer, as a shepherd, you're to be on guard for yourself. And Chris, you do that. You guard your own walk, your own personal walk in the Spirit, because you know that you have to be upright to walk in integrity, to lead this church, and you do that. And you guard this flock. If you all knew the level of, of care and detail that's known about so many people in this body, hundreds of people in this church, every emotional trouble, physical trial, uh, distress, problems with family, challenges that they're going through, and that burden that he's carrying, it's incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Um, and I saw that myself in this personal care in guiding the flock the first Sunday that I came here and filled out the visitor card, I got a phone call from Chris McKnight, who said, glad to meet you, glad you were here, tell me about yourself. It was welcoming, it was warm, and it brought us and my family into this church, because that was he was shepherding and caring for the flock, he was building the flock, gathering the flock. And you do such an amazing job of that, Chris. And I was, I mentioned it earlier, but just um, the big four O class, inviting me and other men into that early morning class uh, to go over the, the top 40 
chapters in all of, of God's Word, in all the Bible, and the learning and the training that came from that, and the Ephesians Armor of God class, so many, many people in there, the discipleship that came from that, relationships that were still going on. I know um, Mike Lowe and Luke Smith have met for three or four years because of the discipleship that started in a men's equipping class called the Armor of God. And those are just a few examples of many, many over the years. And I think also to your shepherding and saying, hey, new guy, why don't you come with us to this Together for the Gospel Conference? Um, in Louisville, Kentucky, you have thousands of men getting together at this very intense uh, time of fellowship and ministry, and it was just wonderful. And it was life-changing. It was. And it was all because you looked out and said, who could really use this? And there were so many other guys on that trip that would say the same thing, and many since then. And third, leading the church. Leading the church. Leading the flock. If you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews thirteen seven. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith, leading by example. A leader has the ability to look back and see who's following and say, follow my steps. Let me lead by example. Lead the way. Imitate my faith that I'm walking in. And Chris, you do such an incredible job of that. You've done that for us um, just so faithfully. And then last thing I want to share here is uh, out of Psalm 78, verse 72. It says, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. This is speaking of David, by the way, of God ordaining David over the people of Israel and setting him up. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. If you, if you know... If you know much about Chris, you know he is extremely organized and capable as a leader and an organizational leader. We had our uh, annual church meeting uh, last week. What a wonderful time. But you would have to see behind the scenes the budget that was there. Ken gave some words, but months, weeks of preparation for that budget that every year gets done um, and and is accurate, is done correctly, is followed uh, there's an organization and a skillfulness to Chris's leadership, not just leading by example, but but the diligence toward his abilities that God's given him in organizing. And we see that. We appreciate that. Um, always at the forefront. Always leading by example. Do as I do, not just as I say, and your preparedness. So I'll leave it at that and leave time for others to come share. But Chris, be encouraged, brother. Um, and we, I've tried to put this into current terms because you are doing these things and you will continue doing these things and they're not just in the past uh they're ongoing they're active and they're current so thank you for your example thank you for your uh, personal friendship and what you've meant to myself and my family Good morning. My name is Kathy Hunt, and I'm speaking from the perspective of a member of the church. Um, I came to Kerrville Bible Church in 1993. 
<laughs> been here a long time. And at that time, we were much smaller, much older, and there were few young families with children, very few. About seven years later, we had an opportunity to call a new pastor. And among other things that were on the um, elders' mind and the search committee mind was two things that stick out in my mind. First, to call a find who God would bring to us who was a uh, skilled, gifted preacher and teacher of the Word of God. That was the primary thing. The secondary thing that I can recall was to find a younger (laughs) pastor who might be used of God to draw younger families into our church. Um, A search committee was formed. I was not on it. Um, But after much prayer and um, just consideration of all the applicants that uh, applied to be our um, church pastor, uh, there was one who finally stood out at the end, a very young, (laughs) 35-year-old Chris McKnight, who at that time was associate pastor of um, Calvary Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, after conversations on the phone back and forth with Chris from the search committee, it was decided to send a small group of people to Nashville uh, to visit with him in person and hear him preach at his church. I was uh, blessed to get to go um, in that small group, Kathy Vineyard, Kathy Vineyard and I are the only ones left. (laughs) And as we recall, there were five of us uh, who went, and she and I were the two women. Um, The people in his church knew that we were coming and what we, why we were coming, and they lovingly called us the Texas Spies. We, we wished we had had t-shirts <laughs> made with Texas spies on them. Um, although they wanted God's will for Chris and Kim um, in, in their lives, they did not want to lose them. And one precious lady came up to a couple of us and she said, I don't think you're going to like him. We don't. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, we felt guilty pulling him, pulling him away. So we visited around some places in, in Nashville. Um, as women do, I got had opportunity to observe Chris and Kim's relationship. I spotted them one time in this atrium thing at some mall, and she was standing on some steps, and he was a, a step below her, and they they had their arms around each other, and the, and they were completely oblivious that we were there <laughs> watching. But it was my first impression of the love that they shared, the intimacy, the the private um, tenderness between them. It meant a lot to me as a woman, um, and and thinking of somebody who would lead this church, uh, that was a blessing, a blessing to me. Um, then uh, we, we had a meal at their home and got to see them and their elements and meet the kids, and uh, and then came Sunday. 
and Chris preached. We were all kind of amazed that he chose a very difficult passage. I don't have a clue what it was. I don't remember. But we all said, you probably know what it was. (laughs) Do you want to tell? Hebrews. Oh, Hebrews. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But we all were amazed. We felt like he was telling us. If you call me, if God brings me to your church, you will not get your ears tickled. And you will not go home from church every Sunday feeling good about yourself. (laughs) What we did do every Sunday was go home feeling good about our God. And that's what he was doing for us. And so over, when I was asked to speak um, at this little thing, by the way, my friend Kathy Vineyard set me up, and I'm not happy with her. <laughs> she could have done it. <laughs> but when I was asked to speak this morning, floods of 20 years of memories with this precious family came just flooding into my mind. Um, I have memories of... Um, encouraging, comforting, um, challenging, and convicting sermons. 20 years of them. So much for going home feeling good about yourself. (laughs) But I always went home praising God because of what he taught me. Um, We have had, I have memories, good memories, of precious um, baby dedications, baptisms, funerals, weddings. Really nice couple of weddings, I remember. (laughs) Kim and Chris have prayed for us and with us and supported us through our deepest, darkest days and our most joyful celebrations. I can say that without hesitation of my own personal experience. I could share some of my own experiences with you and, and, um, but I, but I don't want to mess up your own. And so I do want to say to Chris and Kim and their family that we know how many thousands of hours you have spent in preparation to teach us. If anybody's ever taught one Bible study, (laughs) you know the hours that go into that to prepare to teach. He has had a 20-year history of that. The work that God called you to do, Chris, is not an easy work. It is very hard. I appreciate what Carson said about you, you carry not only the burdens of your own family, which every family has considerable burdens, but all of ours. What must that require of an emotional person like this man? Did you know that about him? The neat thing about Chris is he can cry and still talk. I cannot. (laughs) So bear with me. (laughs) You didn't do it alone, and you know that. You had the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit, strong elders behind you, and now, more recently, Toby and Scott. And there's always Rita. Where is Rita? (laughs) Precious Rita. Um, 
Years ago, I read an article in the newspaper about why people visit churches, what what calls them to visit different churches. And there was a myriad of reasons why people uh, check out different churches. But the people who check out KBC and stay do so because of the faithful teaching of God's word that is done here. You would all agree with that, I know. That's why I'm here. And you have poured that into us week after week after week. This morning, my dear husband, Curtis, said to me, you'll do fine. You are a teacher. And I thought of the word teacher. It reminded me of that Helen Keller movie at the very end when I think it's Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller finally figures out that um, things have names. And she gets mother and father and, and then she gets water and then she wants to know who who is Annie Sullivan to her. And she signs out the na- the word teacher. And I thought, teacher, that is a precious word. A precious word. A lovely word. The Holy Spirit is ultimately our teacher. But you... Give him the raw material he needs to teach us with. And we are truly, truly blessed. Now I'm going to get kind of personal. When I think of my own personal move, uh, memories, <laughs> I can go to what? I have a running movie. I'm very visual. I have a running movie of my life. And in my memory movie, this family plays important roles and have for the last 20 years. When I first saw Caleb and Katie and Carson, Caleb was six. Carson, uh, Katie was four. And Carson was one. (laughs) That's him. (laughs) This one. One. Think of the memories in my movie involving these characters. (laughs) I say that lovingly. You are major players in in my movie memories. You have come in and out of my movie um, at at the darkest moments of my life and the most joyful moments of my life. And I am truly, truly blessed to have had that movie, my movie life. Um, whether you've been here a long time like me or you're relatively new, you can look back with gratitude and we all look forward with anticipation of blessing upon blessing upon blessing from God through you guys. And I speak for all of us when I say, I thank my God in every mem- remembrance of y'all. I'm looking forward to the next 20. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm already crying. I didn't even start it. Oh, man. Um...
Thank y'all for the weekend at the River House. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, thank y'all for um, for uh, loving my dad, and my mom, and uh, me and my siblings. Um, I kind of want to go off of something that Carson was saying. Uh, I read a book like a year ago. Uh, and it gave a really, um, not the only book of my life. It was one of a few, a few books, <laughs> a book a year ago. And uh, it gave a really simple definition of the word glory. Um, and it, the author said it, it means to acknowledge the good of something. When you, when we give glory to God, we're acknowledging the good of God. And, uh, What's amazing is that everything about him is good. <laughs> so you can kind of only give him glory. Um, and and when we acknowledge the good about each other, when we encourage each other, just like we're doing today, we're, we're in a way giving glory to that person, uh, but ultimately to God. We know that as Christians, the good things about ourselves come from God. And, and so this can be a worshipful God-glorifying experience to talk about a man and his, his service to the church. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about my dad as a as a pastor and a dad, obviously, um, and um, and how there was tremendous, there is tremendous consistency between the man that y'all know that that counsels you and preaches to you and the man that, that I know at home um, and and the man that raised me. Um, I want to start with reading uh, from 1 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This is Paul talking to Timothy about qualifications for overseers or elders. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. (laughs) For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." I'm not going to talk about all those things, but um, there's a few of them. The first one, uh, above reproach. That's really hard. <laughs> uh, I mean, like Paul comes out of the gate with probably one of the hardest things on that list is you must be above reproach. You must be pure and and full of integrity. You've got to be the same everywhere you are. You can't be different. Um, recently, uh, the pastor at our church in Austin um 
was talking about discipleship and uh, and what it means to be someone to disciple other people. And he said, if if the people you were discipling were to follow you around all day long and just see your whole life, what would they get? Or if they were just a fly on the wall, what would they know about you in those private moments um, and in the public moments? Would they see consistency? And uh, with my dad, you certainly would. Um, when I look back, I see, um, I see him pastoring. I see him teaching. I sat there just like y'all sit there for, you know, 11 years or whatever until I graduated and went to college. Um, and, uh, but you'd also see somebody who, uh, cleans the dishes in the kitchen when it's dirty and, uh, and cooks <laughs> and, um, and teaches us how to shoot a basketball or throw a football. Um, you'd see, uh, somebody who walks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably get bored. <laughs> just, oh, this guy walks a ton. Who reads a lot, reads a lot, who prays a lot, who thinks a lot. Thinking is working. <laughs> a lot of people who are leaders will know this, that you spend a lot of time just thinking. Um, thinking about the people that you're leading, thinking about what you're going to do. And real work is done when it doesn't even look like real work is being done. Second thing that I wanted to highlight is able to teach. That's definitely been the highlight so far of what Carson and Kathy had both said. Um, he's certainly able to teach uh, from the pulpit, but he's also able to teach just regular things, just things that fathers teach their kids. Um, <laughs> one of them, I talk a lot, and uh, when I was little, it was less controlled and less restrained. <laughs> And, uh, and I always, I love telling stories. I mean, I love telling stories. I mean, right now I love telling stories. And, uh, and I would have stories to tell my friends, my parents, my brothers, my brother, my sister. Um, and, uh, my dad got used to me running up, having a story to tell, and it taking very long for me to get to the, the point of the story. And so my dad, in an effort to just teach me to, like, think about what I was going to say before I said it, and to process that, would say, I would come up with a story ready to tell him, and he would say, okay, I want, you've got 30 seconds to tell me this story. So I want you to, like, like get to the point and tell me the story. And I didn't trim anything out. I just said it a lot faster. I, was just, I, I didn't edit. I, I just was like, okay, so I was running to the, I was just like bullet through the story. Um, and he would still listen, you know, after the 30 seconds, he wouldn't cut me off. Um, but that's just a simple thing of, uh, there were things like that all the time that, that my dad would teach. Um, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Daniel. And it's because my dad preached through Daniel um, before I had graduated college and left, and I and I heard those sermons, um, and it gave it was such I thought it was an amazing story, an amazing book, um, an amazing lesson about God's sovereignty and His control over the whole world, and and just like Carson was talking about the the preaching making you um, 
from God's word, the Holy Spirit using it to grow you and to, to, to give you an appreciation um, for God and, and to give him glory. There's so many pastors that don't put the work into bringing out the details of Scripture. But so often it's those details that make us more in awe of him. It's getting into the, the nitty-gritty, of, nitty-gritty of the words of Scripture and, and seeing God in new ways or in fresh ways that we hadn't before. And I'm seeing some heads nod as I talk, and I know that you all have experienced that, experienced that as well. Last one I wanted to focus on was uh, he must manage his household well. And like Kathy talked about, I mean, every family has so many burdens. Um, every family. And uh, ours does too. Our family isn't better than yours <laughs> or closer to God than yours or more holy than yours. Um, we all sinned against each other, and I was disobedient to my dad, and I backtalked him, and I was sarcastic, or I lied, or whatever. Um, and uh, I'm not a dad yet, and it terrifies me. Um, <laughs> but I, I hope I'm half the man my dad is. He always had time for us. I don't know how. I mean, I listen to how much work goes into serving the church, and it's not just preaching, it's counseling, and it's organizing, and it's the budget, and it's all these things. But I don't have a single memory of not being there. I've talked to to other kids whose fathers were in ministry, and they have a lot of memories of dad not being around. Because he's um, with somebody at a hospital, or he's counseling somebody, or he's on the phone, or whatever. Um, and I just, I really don't. I, he was always there. And even now, when I call him, um, I mean, he pretty much always picks up the phone. Rarely ever does he not. And even even if he doesn't, it's because he's he's with one of you. <laughs> and and sometimes he'll answer and say, hey, I'm with so-and-so, can I call you back? And um Listen to me for for hours. We'll talk about what we're reading or whatever. Um, he's he's managed his household well, um, and he's he's uh, very obviously um, worked hard to manage this this household well, this church of God. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, talking about my dad as a as a man and not just as my dad. Um, Chris McKnight is a man that I would admire if he wasn't my dad. Um, This is something that happens as you get older, and I'm sure most of you have experienced this, where you... Your parents are still your parents, but you start to develop a a friendship with them. Um, And you start to, as you go through the same things that they went through, you're like, wow, how did they do that? (laughs) You know, like now I'm got to, I'm dealing with financial stress or whatever it is. Or you look at your parents and you're just like, man, I I don't know how they did that. Um, And, and I, I experienced that all the time. 
Um, I still copy my dad. Um, to give you an example, when I was in high school, I read all the time. I, I mean, I still read all the time, but when I was in high school, it was all novels. It was fiction. My dad was always reading systematic theology and, like, biographies and stuff. Like, he would come to my basketball games, and at halftime, I mean, he's getting his glasses out, and he's sitting there up in the <laughs> reading systematic theology. Um, and, and I always thought it was so boring. I was just like, man, why are you... Like, read a story, you know, that's, like, exciting. And uh, right now I'm reading A History of Texas. And the book before that was a biography about Ulysses S. Grant. And I read a biography of Theodore Roosevelt before that. It's like I'm becoming my dad. (laughs) And he's reading Lonesome Dove. And I'm like, (laughs) what is happening? (laughs) I wrote down a few words. Uh, I was just thinking of words to describe my dad as a, as a man. Um, and this is what I wrote. Consistent. Faithful. Disciplined. Reliable. And servant. I have memories that come to mind for each of those words. Um, I think one of the, the great moments when I, I think about my relationship with my dad that um, that really impacted me that I think about all the time. It's crazy because it happened when I was, at least this version of the story in my head happened when I was young. Um, but I, I had done something wrong. I don't, I don't remember what it was. And um, my dad was very angry with me, very angry. And he yelled at me. And it scared me <laughs> how angry he was at me. Um, cause it didn't happen. That wasn't a regular thing that happened. Um, and, uh, and I started crying and he could tell that he had scared me. And, uh, I, I think maybe I was nine or 10, I don't know. And, um, he, he came to me and asked me for forgiveness. And, uh, if you are a father, that's a lesson right there. You will sin against your parents or against your children. And it is very hard to ask a child for their forgiveness. I mean, man who's up here preaching to you every day, who's a spiritual leader, um, is asking his 10-year-old son for forgiveness in private. He didn't have to do that. Y'all didn't know about that. Um, and I, I fail all the time, but I try to be, I try to be that man with my wife. When we fight, I want to ask for forgiveness first. I want to apologize first. I want to to dispel that that tension first, um, because I was learning it at such a young age from him. I'll close with this. There's a a line in a musical that I won't name that I love. It's like my favorite musical. Towards the end, one of the characters is dying, and. Uh, if you know the line, you'll know the line. He says, uh, legacy. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you don't get to see. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you don't get to see. And in some ways, that's true. <laughs> in some ways, we're planting seeds of God's goodness as Christians all the time, and we don't get to see them grow, but God grows them anyway. In other ways, though, it's 
that's very much not true. Uh, because there's a lot of seeds that have been watered in here. Um, I was one of them. <laughs> so much growth is in this church, in this room here, from the preaching of God's word, that that my dad has tried so hard to faithfully do, and the Holy Spirit has watered them in private when he wasn't around and grown them. Um, and I was thinking about this analogy, and it made me think of a greenhouse that, like, Kerrville Bible, that this room is kind of like a greenhouse. And I haven't talked to the elders yet, but I have your new name. It's Kerrville Greenhouse Church, KGC, <laughs> watering and planting. Um, and I hope that that more seeds are planted and watered for for a long time to come. I love you all. My usual process for uh, ever talking in public uh, when I'm trying to prepare is I I do a lot of thinking, the work of thinking, and I think and I think and I don't ever write anything down. And <laughs> and then about the night before, I'm I'm crushed with crippling self doubt. Like, <laughs> why am I even why why am I even doing this? This is ridiculous. You know, I had that last night, and I was asking Melissa, why am I doing this? I, You know, all these people in the church, I, I've only been here for four years, just over four years. She said, you're the longest pastor he's served with, or that he's served with you. I mean, I was doing the math, and if my math's wrong, I, I'm the pastor who has served with him the longest. So uh, that's weird. But because uh, I, still, I still feel like the new guy, for sure. Um, you know, uh, it's funny the, the, the themes, the recurring themes, uh, from, from the, from Carson and Kathy and Caleb, uh, just these same themes coming up. And, and so time doesn't really permit me to, to say all that I could say on an occasion like this. So I'll, uh, summarize my thoughts from serving with you for four years. Um, certainly we praise God. We praise God for his faithfulness over these past 20 years, but God uses means, um, as, as we hear a lot, and he has used the means of a pastor who has served the word of God and this congregation faithfully, who has raised three great children in this church, and who has entered a new season of life with an empty nest and energy to spare. I thought, he's in the sweet spot. Um, first of all, Chris, I would say thank you for remaining a humble learner after a thousand or more sermons. That's 20 years, 52 weeks a year. And I know there's some time for vacation, but that doesn't even take into consideration the midweek Bible studies, evening services, weddings, funerals. Um, it would be tempting, uh, to rest on your laurels and rely on, uh, what you've always done, but that's not Chris McKnight. Uh, you continue to you continue to apply yourself to studying God's word and the craft of preaching. And it's truly remarkable, and we're better off for it. I've also seen you grow in pastoral warmth 
and personal hospitality. I read in a pastoring book recently that no one is good at everything. Uh, Some men are fine expositors but struggle with administration. Or they're administrative and leadership-minded but struggle with the interpersonal part of, of pastoring a church. After 20 years, it might be tempting to shrug and say, well, that's just who I am. But that's not Chris McKnight. I know how you've agonized over being a better shepherd, how you've shed many tears over your sheep, how you've taken steps to spend more time among your people, how you've gotten in the trenches with the children's ministry and now with the youth. It's truly remarkable, and we're better off for it. I appreciate your visionary leadership of this body. Uh, Many pastors have ideas, but they'll sit on them in fear. Or they'll hear and hear, they'll hear a good idea and say, well, we've tried that before and it didn't work or we've always done it this way. And after 20 years, it might be tempting to maintain the monument and protect the status quo. But that's not Chris McKnight. You're not afraid to try things. You're like the Google of pastoral ministry. <laughs> Google is famous for starting projects and ending projects, right? Um, They'll they'll end them when they're either not working or they've just outlived their usefulness. You know, it's fun. It's fun to minister in a place where there, there are no, well, there are at least very few sacred cows. There are no programs here that exist for their own sake. Every one of them serves the purpose of glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's truly remarkable, and we're better off for it. Um, I want to say a few words to Kim. Who can find a wife of noble... Who can find a wife of noble character? She's more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. You're truly a Proverbs 31 woman, and Chris is blessed and thankful for you. You're kind, hardworking, industrious, encouraging, merciful. You're always willing to help someone in need or to show up in the middle of the night when a friend has to fly out of state for a family emergency. And need you to, and needs you to be a warm, smiling face when their kids wake up. Chris likes to say that because of uh, the one flesh union of a man and woman, that oh, I can't see uh, uh, that elders and pastors' wives they're present with us uh, at every meeting, every counseling session, every hospital visit, every time we're here uh, in the pulpit, our wives are with us. Kim, you're a fine counselor and minister in your own in your own right. But thanks for being with Chris when he pastors this body. This church is better because you're in it. To Caleb and Katie, Carson, uh, you've had the catbird seat for all the ups and downs of the past um, 20 years. Ministry is uniquely difficult on a on a pastor and his family. And it's not an easy life. But I think you know, I, I know you know, that your dad adores the three of you. 
well, Katie wasn't able to be here this morning, but and his uh, two new daughters, Mary Catherine and Katie. He prays for for you often. And is so very proud of you, uh, Chris. I can I can look back uh, at this study that our staff did on the, on the, kind of the life and ministry of Charles Spurgeon as a watershed experience um, for all of us, really. And I would like to commend and charge you with this passage from uh, from the book, and it's a direct quote from from Charles Spurgeon. I'm, I'm encouraged and convicted every time I read it. I love a minister whose face invites me to make him my friend. A man upon whose doorstep you read welcome and feel there is no need for the warning, be, beware of the dog. Give me a man around whom the children come like flies around a honeypot, for they are first-class judges of a good man. A man who is to do much with men must love them and feel at home with them. An individual who has no geniality about him had better be an undertaker and bury the dead, for he will never succeed at influencing the living. A man must have a great heart if he would have a great congregation. His heart should be as capacious as those noble harbors among our, along our coast, which contain sea room for a fleet. When a man has a large, loving heart, men go to him as ships to a haven and feel at peace when they have anchored under the lee of his friendship. Such a man is hearty in private as well as in public. His blood is not cold and fishy, but he is warm as your own fireside. No pride and selfishness chill you when you approach him. He has his doors all open to receive you, and you are at home with him at once. Such men, I would persuade you to be, every one of you. In the opening chapter of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he quotes novelist William Faulkner, who comments on the difference between monuments and footprints. He says, a monument says, well, at least I made it this far. While a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. May the Lord bless you from this footprint forward to another 20-plus years. It's a great joy to serve with you. Well, those would have been really hard to wrap, so that was what we came up with. Chris, this is our gift to you as a church. Um, I want you all to know, uh, as you had some concern or consideration or care about what are we doing for Chris, and so um, Caleb mentioned that their family uh, was uh, enjoyed some time at a VRBO together. Uh, we offered that to, to Chris and his family, and so the church uh, did that for them, but then in addition, we wanted to give you a gift. And so what do you give a guy who has a library full of books? Well, more books. So... Uh, this is the uh, is exhaustive works of Charles Spurgeon, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers, and it is uh, they are all of his sermons, thousands and thousands of sermons from Spurgeon, collected in these forty-three volumes here. The most important book in all of them is the index on top, <laughs> and uh, the, they are it is fascinating. And so, uh, Chris, we know that you enjoy. Uh, his works, and 
I have no idea how you're going to read all those, but <laughs> but if anybody could do it, it is you. So we we love you, Chris, and enjoy those. All right. taught y'all well because you've stolen all of my thunder. <laughs> Everything I was going to say almost has been said, but uh, well, thank you, Carson, uh, behalf of the elders and church. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Toby. Um, believe it or not, I wanted to come up here and hug each one of you <laughs> when you were done. <laughs> yes. So that was, yes, it was that meaningful. Yes. <laughs> Well, I am so full of joy and gratitude to God right now, and uh, uh, so thankful. Uh, I do want to. I do want to second what what's been said. We we had a great time on the river this week. Somebody said, "Where are you going for vacation?" We said, "Center Point." <laughs> Why do you need to leave Kerr County and the Guadalupe River? So we had a great time. It was just perfect uh, uh, from Tuesday to Friday morning, and. Uh, so thank you for, for that wonderful gift and for this wonderful gift. Yes, that is incredible. Uh, I will enjoy that immensely. Let me start with a quick confession. I initially didn't want anything done or said uh, for this occasion, nothing whatsoever. And my wife and I had several arguments over this. Uh, <laughs> uh, and to, just to be open and honest, uh, May, June, July, I was just really not in a very good place. Uh, I was emotionally, mentally uh, exhausted. And uh, Kim kept saying, you're tired. I said, no, I'm not tired. Watch me go walk for four hours, you know. <laughs> and, and it finally dawned on me. I wasn't tired physically. I was tired mentally uh, and, and really worn down. And so <clears throat> not being in a very good place, I kept kind of putting my foot down saying, no, nothing, nothing at all. Not even one mention. But then after some much needed rest, I realized that there are good and godly reasons to allow something like this to happen. And first on that list is my wife um, and my family and you, this church. You all are the good and godly reasons for this to happen. It's really ultimately not about me. It's about God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his perseverance in us and what he can do with someone like me and uh, someone like us. Uh, and so it's ultimately for your encouragement and for your edification. And my prayer all week is God be glorified and church be edified. Uh, and that will be a wonderful thing. Whenever a pastor, any pastor lasts 20 years in one place, it is a team effort. It is a family affair. And there is no way I am still here without Kim. All right, this is the reason I've lasted 20 years. <clears throat> Speaking of Kim, on Monday I came in with the normal routine and I said, did you get the mail? And she said, no, I didn't get the mail. And so I go out to the mailbox and I pull a card out and I'm like, well, that's some familiar looking handwriting there. <laughs> Chris McKnight, 205 Candace Drive. And... Uh, <clears throat> So I go in, open this card, and I received a pastor appreciation card from my wife. (laughs) 
thanking me for being her pastor for these 20 years. I just started laughing. And I say to her what Andy Griffith said to Barney all the time. You just beat everything I've ever seen. You know that? (laughs) Well, there's no way I'm standing here as well without the three kids that God has given us uh, being who they are. I'm not standing here today without key friends along the way who have loved me well. And without the prayers and the kindnesses of Kerrville Bible Church over these 20 20 years. All glory, all glory goes to God. But God uses means to persevere people and to comfort people and to encourage people and to establish people. And God has used his people to do all of that for me uh, in droves. Speaking of his people, I really want to honor 23 of them today. Some have been up here, some have been named, but I want to name and honor and recognize the 23 members of this church who were here when we got here and are still here. Mark and Gatrell Andrews, Mitch Boyce, Harold and Gina Buell, Mike Chrisman, Steve and Debbie Flores, Nancy Grisham, Gil and Nancy Harbor, Gerald Harmon, Kathy Kerr-Hunt, John and Kim Kerr, George and Noel Lee, Neil and Cheryl Mears, Jack Moore, Kathy Northington Moore, Pat Stone, and Kathy Vineyard. I want to give them a round of applause. And I want to say to all 23 of you, thank you for putting up with me. You have allowed me to make mistakes. You have allowed me to grow. You have allowed me to mature. Ministry is war. Life is hard and fragile. Sanctification is swimming upstream. And so, yes, there have been some sad and tragic and hard, hard times. Of course, there have over that much time. We have had sudden deaths from infants to someone 75 years old and mowing his yard to many relocations that have broken my heart, to countless funerals, and worst of all, to some gut-wrenching, heartbreaking defections from the Lord. But I don't want to focus on the sad and the tragic and the hard. I want to focus today on the good and the joyful and the glad times, the many, many fond memories that I can only scratch the surface of for a few moments. I found in uh, my reading this morning, Psalm 97, 12, this verse, it really says it well. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. And that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for me and for my family. Well, there are so many fond memories. I'm just going to fly through a lot of this, uh, given the time. But uh, I've had some adventurous, exotic travel as a result of being your pastor. Four trips to Russia with many Kerrville Bible Church folk. Got to go to Israel with another big group with Gary Morris as my roommate. You have never had so much fun than to go to Israel with Gary Morris as your roommate. I laughed so hard. That man is hilarious. Kim and I got to go to Ethiopia for two weeks to visit Tom and Ramonda Lunsford. Uh, This will be uh, one of the highlights of our life, no doubt. Got to go to Mexico with Blair. Uh, our associate pastor at the time, to visit Chris Berger for a week. Those stand out. Several of my fond memories include one 
very unique individual by the name of David Vineyard. <laughs> David and I got to go to Russia by ourselves, a trip to Krasnodar, Russia, for a week-long conference that we did together. And I'm telling you, you have not lived until you've gone to Russia with David Vineyard via New York City. <laughs> so we're flying out of Dallas, and our plane has mechanical problems. We get about an hour from Dallas, and they have to turn around and go back to the airport Fix the plane, change planes, I can't remember. But, of course, we mix, miss our connecting flight overseas. And so we are now uh, stuck in New York City for 24 hours, which David, as I learned, knew very well. <laughs> and he became my tour guide for the, for the next 24 hours. And it was a, that was the best part of the whole trip, actually. It was, it was awesome. David Vineyard took me on my first South Texas dove hunt where probably a hundred people limited out in 30 minutes. It was self-defense. <laughs> we were shooting birds and watching them land in the pickup truck. You know, it was a boom. Unbelievable time. Tyvee football games. Oh, my goodness. We've gone to so many Tyvee football games, especially playoff games. Back in my younger days, they'd be on Saturday night at the Alamo Dome. We'd get back to Kerrville at midnight, you know, and then I'd be up here preaching the next morning. And I could do that then. I can't, can't do that now. But, wow, we had so much fun at those games. One really meaningful time, and the whole church was part of this, and David led it. Uh, we were, at one time, just buried in medical debt and bills. I mean, just drowning. And David, uh, unbeknownst to me, gathered up a, a collection among the, the church and gifted us several thousands of dollars. And I still remember the place and the moment where he handed me the check for some unknown reason. We were in the kitchen of the Family Life Center. I don't even know why we were there or how we got there, but he handed me this this check. Um, and, and I just started just crying my eyes out. <laughs> Such love and support that we have never experienced anywhere else like this. Even to the last of our memories with David, one of uh, my, my fondest memories, it may seem strange, but it was when we had an elders meeting at Charles house in his last weeks of his life. All of us were there, and we just sat and talked and laughed and cried and prayed for a couple hours. And uh, to, to just watch a man uh, in, in his last weeks, in his last months like that was uh, unforgettable. There's been some special church stuff. Some of it's been mentioned. Uh, some, I think most of this on my list hasn't. Uh, some of you kids and parents may remember Mystery Week. We did in the summers. It was like a traveling VBS, you know. And so we picked a different spot every day to take the kids, but they didn't know where we were going. And uh, we called it Mystery Week. We used the spots to teach, like Enchanted Rock or Lost Maples and those kind of places. That was so much fun. We did that for a couple of summers. <clears throat> One of my fondest memories related to this church in my life um, was when God led me and enabled me to memorize the book of Ephesians and recite it to you. And I'm telling you the process, and I did it right here on this platform. I memorized that entire book right here. Out loud, thinking of you as I said it, chapter after chapter. And to do that that morning, to look you in the eye and just give you the pure, unadulterated word of God like that was a absolute highlight of my life. And then at the end, to hear John Kerr say, so what are you going to memorize for next week? <laughs> and I responded, third John. 
Another uh, highlight of my life, and I'm so thankful I did it. I want to do it again, probably, uh, I don't know when. It needs to be done again. But from 2006 to 2008, I preached through the book of Romans, uh, the Swiss Alps of the Bible. And it was 75 sermons, and it absolutely um, revolutionized my heart and life. Um, Every week I was blown away in the study. Every week I wish Sunday was Tuesday. You know, I was just like, oh, I want to preach right now. This book is so amazing. Carson mentioned the men's equipping courses. That is a very fond memory of mine. They were Tuesday morning, 6.30. We've done big 4.0, Ephesians. We've done lots of things with prayer partners and small groups and homework and all kinds of, it's kind of a boot camp sort of a, sort of environment. <clears throat> but I'll never forget, I think the very first one. And George Lee walks in the side door of the fellowship hall and he says, it's still dark outside. <laughs> like, yes, George, it is. <laughs> I can't, I can't share fond memories and, and answers to prayer without making a mention of the Shepherds Conferences. I came in 2000, and for years, my routine was I pray in this room, I walk this room, and I'm surprised the carpet hasn't <laughs> been worn out by my walking and praying. And one of my prayers for 2000, 2001, 2002 was, God, send somebody with me to the Shepherds Conference out at Grace Community Church, MacArthur's Church in California. And nobody would want to go, nobody would want to go, nobody would want to go, well... Uh, I want you to stand up if you've been to the Shepherds Conference uh, with with me. And this is a tiny fraction. Thank you, men. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Eventually, we had a trip where, I don't know, I think we had like 15 people went to the Shepherds Conference together. Shepherds Conference has had a huge impact on this church. It's had a huge impact on me. It's had a huge impact on many men. I'm going to give you three quick examples. Bill Leip, one of our former elders who's now with the Lord, we were sitting in the van on a Friday night after the last session of the Shepherds Conference, and Bill Leip got everybody's attention. He was about 70 years old. He had done a Reformation tour. He had been to Israel on a trip. He had had a a, a sunrise service, Easter-type service in Israel, all these kinds of great experiences. And he got everybody's attention there in the van as we were headed to the hotel for the last night, and he said to us, Brothers, that was the greatest worship experience of my life. Rand Southerd, another elder, former elder of this church, one Friday night after hearing R.C. Sproul teach on justification by faith, and we were sitting at a traffic light in Van Nuys, California, and I was, I was driving. Rand was in the other front seat. I'll never forget this. Rand said, I have never understood justification by faith like I do now. And Jack Moore's assessment after he went to the Shepherds Conference as we're driving home, he says, Chris, every man in our church needs to do this at least once. That's the kind of gushing and encouragement that there's been from that time. Well, there have been great choir programs. There have been glorious baptisms. There have been Good Friday communion services that I thought I was just ready to step right into heaven. There was the amazing month, Toby, that we spent in the Family Life Center. What a fond memory that is. During our remodel, we spent a month or so in the Family Life Center, and it's probably the closest I'll ever get to planting a church uh, <laughs> because it felt like a church plant. 
the energy and the excitement of being in a gym and just being different. It was just wonderful. In fact, I joked, it's like, we ought to do this for a month every summer, you know. <laughs> just shake us up a little bit and, and rearrange things. But what a fond memory that was. How wonderful y'all were. How responsive everybody was to that move. Fond memories, highlights for me, and they've been mentioned, was when we hired uh, Blair Cushman as an assistant pastor and then he became an associate pastor. When we hired Toby Baxley. When we hired who I finally refer to as Uncle Billy. And when we hired Scott Christensen. These are mile markers for me because these are men who have served and are serving with me in the trenches. Uh, it's it's lonely in, the, in this role. It's hard. And to have these brothers alongside is invaluable. Invaluable. There were the answered prayers. These are long prayers. I started praying as soon as I got here that God would allow us to plant churches and, and raise up and send out missionaries. And so these prayers have been happening since 2000. And so the time and the days and the, and the involvement when we as a church sent Michael Beck and Joey Bellington and family to Bernie to plant a church. And there they are and they're, and they're going well and it's awesome and the Lord is using them. What an answer to prayer. When we sent the Moses family to Sierra Leone, what an answer to prayer. My memories aren't all in the distant past at all. One of my most fond memories is last year serving in Awana. Had a blast with third, fourth, and fifth grade boys and, and the whole group. That was so much fun. Uh, a fond memory and a, you know one of those you'll never forget where you were moments was when I got the phone call that someone was donating to our church a 5,500 square foot house in Comanche Trace for our children's building. Yeah, I can still remember exactly where I was. A fond memory is our sustained giving through COVID and God's blessing through us. A fond memory is actually last Sunday. We sent out this letter. We had some strong, loving things to say to our church. We had 307 people here last Sunday. Uh, We had an incredible uh, annual meeting. It was glorious. And that is a fond memory for me. Well, you know, there cannot be a a talk like this without a list. So I'm not going to elaborate on these. So relax. We won't be here till two o'clock. So (laughs) 10 lessons I've learned in my reflections. 10 lessons. Number one, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number two, pretenders eventually get exposed or they simply fade away. Number three, pastors need friends, love, and inclusion as much as anyone. Number four, Toby and I are nothing alike. (laughs) Now, Toby, that is a compliment to you, first of all, and it's a good thing for the church. Number five, preaching well is like chasing the wind. Number six, the doctrines of grace are better than life itself. Better than all the barbecue in Texas. <laughs> better than 17 national championships for Alabama, Roll Tide. Doctrines of grace are better than all of those things combined. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. These doctrines own me. And I rest upon all of them and love them more than life itself. Number seven, planting churches is like raising children. 
Number eight, God actually hears and answers prayer. I didn't know that like I know it now. Number nine, home visits are essential to good shepherding. I have learned so much about so many of you by sitting in your homes. And you being in your place of comfort has changed the dynamic of how I shepherd and pastor this church. They are so very important to me and us as pastors. Please let us come to your home when we ask. We beg you to let us come sit in your place of comfort and hear how you are doing and get to know you better. They are essential to church. And then number 10, it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. I want to be uh, known for someone who preaches the whole counsel of God. And uh, because I believe it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. It takes Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of the book of Revelation because every word is inspired by God and every word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I think uh, I want to sum it all up with a passage that tells you this morning how I feel that looks both to the past, the present, and the future. It's very well known. It's very short. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This has been a green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. Praise the Lord.